السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام عليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه Welcome to the second lesson, the second session in our discussion of the Islamic discourse in religious institutions a work penned by Sayyid al-Habib Umar bin Muhammad Salim bin Hafiz, a work in which that he focuses on many of the important principles of da'wah Allah at the level of the institution, i.e., what are the various principles that should be a part of every organization that is aiming to serve the deen in some, res in some respect, whether that be direct service of the deen or whether that be by extension that service of humanity or something of that nature that it's very important for us to understand these principles and in the first session we discussed the primary mission of religious institutions and one of the important points there that Sayyid Habib Omar made was how the underlying motivation for everything that it is that we do should be to fulfill the divine command and to be people who spread good for the sake of Allah <coughs> subhanahu wa ta'ala and he also spoke a little bit about that impacting people with our words but also impacting people with our states and he proceeded to speak about some very important principles that will contribute to our success when we are serving at the level of an institution and that uh, some of these will also be discussed today so in this session what we wanted to focus on is the following topic the integrity of the discourse is dependent upon the integrity of the individual and again just to highlight what really is something that is obvious but despite it being obvious is oftentimes neglected the institution ultimately made up of individuals and we as when we're serving at the level of the institution we have to be very well aware of the need of our own personal development and sometimes we look exterior to so solely focus on what it is that we're doing in relation to the other people, helping those other people, failing to realize that the secret to success, defined here specifically as impacting other people in a good way, oftentimes gets back to our own state. The more that we work on our own selves, the more that we work on the state of our hearts, the more that we work on implementing the principles that we're supposed to have as believers, the more impact that we will have on those that we're trying to reach from the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is, this is key. And when we recognize this, we recognize is that there's two directions. There's the inward direction where we're focusing on ourself, just as there's the outward direction, which relates to that specific type of service that we're doing. So, inshallah ta'ala, we are on, we are now on page three of the text in the handout. So, if for those following online, you can open up the handout and then you can go to page three, not of the whole PDF, but of the specific of the text where it says selections from the Islamic discourse. The integrity of the discourse is depending upon the integrity of the individual. And so he says, it is clear from the book and sunnah and from looking closely at the stories of the companions and those who followed them with excellence that the integrity of the discourse is based on the integrity of people's actions and states, their sincerity in seeking Allah, their inward purity and their clarity of thought. La ilaha illallah. And this is not easy to swallow at times because when you're in the realm of service, 
you then realize there is a responsibility upon your shoulders. There's a certain way that you have to be. And to the degree that we are that way is to the degree that we will actually be successful in what it is that we're doing. So embracing this responsibility and instead of turning away from that heaviness, confronting it and realizing is that this is in addition to the workload of all of the outward things that you're doing, recognizing that we have to work on our own selves is something that is very important. And so what Sayyidina Habib is saying here is, is that when you read the Quran, when you look at the Sunnah of our Prophet you look at the stories of the companions and those who came after them, it is very clear is that the integrity of the discourse is based upon the integrity of the individual, that individual's action and that individual's state. And <clears throat> one of the amazing things about this deen, and still to this day when you visit the Muslim world and you see the preserved scholarly traditions, wherever they might be, from west to east, one of the very important things that's always a part of those scholarly traditions and those representing them is that their scholarship is combined with piety. Their scholarship is combined with taqwa, mindfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, is that the more scholarly that they are, the more scrupulous that they actually seem to be. The more closely that they adhere to the sacred law of our Prophet Sallallahu And I remember a story of one of our, that our teachers told about one of his teachers, Habib Ibrahim bin Aqil. He was older and his grandson was helping him remove his shirt. And he started from, or excuse me, his grandson was helping him pull up his shirt sleeves. And his grandson started with the right. And then his grandfather looked at him and said, Yeah, what did he have a neza? You're removing something. So the sun is to start with the left. So just that simple motion, it could have been for whatever purpose, but instead of the, he was that aware that no, you actually pull up your left sleeve first. Because when you remove something, the sun is to begin with the left. So like if you're removing your jacket, <coughs> excuse me, or your shirt, you take the left side off first, and then you take the right side off. As opposed to when you wear your jacket or you wear your shirt, you put your right sleeve on first, and then you put your left side on next. But he corrected him and said, no, start lifting the left sleeve. That aware of following the sunnah of our Prophet And these are people that are like this in all of their different affairs. Not just in terms of clothing, but also in terms of their dealings with others, in terms of their financial dealings, in terms of the sources of their income, <coughs> in terms of how they um, protect people's reputations, in terms of fine details of the sacred law, this is how they are. They're very cognizant to, of the sacred law of the Prophet Muhammad and so you always will find that the true bearers of this religion are upright. And obviously, Isma being divinely protected, that's only for the prophets. Okay? But the great bearers of the 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 this the great bearers of this tradition who that are, have put into practice the Quran and the Sunnah of our Prophet will always have this trait of taqwa that goes along with them. And um, this is a blessing because if you've been exposed to the enterprise of knowledge in the West and you've seen people that might be very knowledgeable on specific subjects and have PhDs and that have spent a significant amount of time on a very small topic, it's not always the case that they have good character. It's not always the case that they are that moral people and in fact a lot of the people that uh, have actually very little moral values that are in these positions 
And when you see the opposite, it really is that comforting to know the beauty of this tradition and how it's been preserved throughout all these generations on the hands of these very blessed people. And then he mentions specifically that a few traits of them is that, again, there's sincerity in seeking Allah. So Habib, I want to mention this again because this is so important. Sincerity is a prerequisite for the acceptance of an act. And in the realm of service, in order for us to really benefit from what it is that we're doing in this world and the next, we have to make a righteous intention behind what it is that we are doing. But then also, Safa al-Baltan, their inward purity, la ilaha illallah. They do not have hearts that are muddled with diseases. And if you have diseases of the heart, arrogance, envy, ostentation, that things of this nature, it will get in the way of the work. It will cause problems with those that you are serving with, just as it will cause problems with those that are around you. And you will create unnecessary trouble for yourself by virtue of what manifests in the heart of these various diseases. Whereas we want purity. We want purity, not only of heart, but we also want clarity of thought. So that our thoughts aren't muddled by misconceptions that stem from our desires overcoming us or disease, this is diseases that are arising in the hearts. And then he quotes a famous line of poetry. It is in the heart that words reside, but to what's in it is in the to, but to what's in the heart, the tongue is the guide. So the tongue speaks and it indicates what is in the heart, what it is that you were thinking about, what it is that you wanted to say. But the, the reality is that kanam, it starts in the heart. The tongue expresses it. The tongue guides to what is in your heart. And so everything that is that we say has the drapery of the state of our heart when it is that we say it. And so if you just kind of tell someone, oh, I love you, and you're not really feeling love in your heart for that person, is that person going to really feel loved? If you say something of benefit, but you're internally kind of turned off, and you're not really present in the moment with that person, that there will likely be much, le much less impact that those words have on that person you're speaking to. But if what you're saying is sincere, you're doing it for the sake of Allah, and you really want to help people, and you have a heart filled with mercy, and a heart filled with empathy, and wanting to help other people, and wanting other people to do better, and to get better, and to have good come to their lives, and all of these other beautiful things that are supposed to be in the heart, if that's in the heart, it's going to have a much more profound impact upon the person that you are speaking to. And then he quotes a verse of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلُ مِمَّنْ دَعَيْلَ اللَّهِ وَعَمِلُ الصَّالِحِ وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And who is better in speech than one who invites to Allah, does righteous actions and says, I am one of the Muslims. وَلَا تَسْتَوِرْ حَسَنْتُ وَلَا سَيَّهِ Good and evil cannot be equal. Respond to evil with what is better. And then the one with whom you were enemies will become like a dear friend. But this can only be attained by those who are steadfast in patience and by one who is immensely fortunate. And then Sayyidina Habib Omar is going to comment on this verse. And he says, The words of Allah, um, He says, And this indicates indicate rectifying one's actions. So keep in mind that Habib Omar mentioned here in the beginning is that the, it's about the integrity of a person's actions 
and states. So not just their actions. The integrity of the discourse is dependent upon the integrity of people's actions and their states. So he said this part and, and does righteous actions. Now, uh, that waqala that innani min al-muslimin ishara ila taqwim al-amal wa fi qawli wa amil salihan fa ma ba'du ishara taqwim al-hal. So the words of Allah and does righteous actions indicates rectifies one's actions and his words and says I am one of the Muslims and what comes after it indicate rectifying one's state and sincerity in seeking Allah, one's inward purity and the refinement of one's character. So we, we learn from this is that we, are, we want to be upright in terms of our actions just as we want to be upright in terms of the things that is that we say and it just says we want to be upright in terms of our states and the goodness of what is said is due to the inward goodness of the one saying it so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says do you not see how Allah makes comparisons a good word is like a good tree whose roots are firm and its branches reach the sky constantly yielding its fruit in every season with its Lord's permission Allah makes such comparisons for people so that they may be reminded and then Habib Omar is going to help us think about this verse with what he says after this. A good word is like a good tree, firmly rooted in a pure, sincere heart. Its branches are raised high in the heavenly realm of acceptance from the sovereign, the real, the most exalted. Its fruits yield benefit, insight, and illumination for intellects and souls, constantly nourishing, irrigating, and purifying them with its Lord's permission, glorious is His Majesty. So one of the meanings of this, this verse is that if we think about what it is that we say, it's like a tree. A tree, its stability is in its roots. So a good word is like a good tree. Where here is that good word rooted? It's rooted in a pure, sincere heart. And if there is a problem at the level of the roots, there's going to be a problem that throughout the tree and it's going to need to eventually be cut down. If there's a problem at the level of the heart, that's going to affect and infect what it is that we say. So the words that we speak begin with our state of heart. And when we say that, it might seem that it's a little bit abstract, that we don't really understand what is being said. If you spend time with these meanings and you reflect upon them and you start to spend time scrutinizing the state of your heart and really discovering and uncovering what lies therein, the, it, the meaning will move from being abstract to being familiar where you'll start to understand how this works. And the more that you till the heart, the more ability that you will have to direct it, to rectify it, to stop something from coming in. And we have to spend time with our hearts. And the, up, the spiritual upkeep at the level of the heart is the most important type of upkeep. And just think about outwardly everything that you have to do to preserve anything that you have. Just think of a car, for instance, and you get a new car. Okay, maybe the first 30 to 40,000 miles that you don't have to do too much other than get a few oil changes and maybe rotate the tires or something like that. But eventually, as that car gets older, you have to start being aware of that at a certain point, there's certain parts that you have to replace. The belt might need to be replaced. The tires need to be replaced. The brakes need to be replaced. All of these types of things happen. The car starts to get close to having 100,000 miles and it's five, 10 years old. New things start to happen. You have to put in regular maintenance to your car to keep it up and running. And likewise, the state is with your own self. Your heart is no different, but it's the most precious thing of all that we have. It is the most worthy thing that we have as human beings to put energy in to maintain. And making sure that it is in a good state and it is constantly being cleansed and being directed towards what is good. 
So Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib, may Allah ennoble his countenance and be well pleased with him, said, and this is a very deep statement. Um, I'm not going to be able to come even close to bringing out the plethora of meaning that is in it, but we will see what we can unpack bi'idnillahi ta'ala. So he said, radiallahu anhu, maghrasul kalam al-qalb. The seedbed of words is the heart. Wamastawda'uhu al-fikr. They are stored in thoughts. Wamuqawwihi al-aqal. And reinforced by the intellect. Wajismuhu al-huruf. Their bodies are letters. Wuruhuhu al-ma'ana. Their spirits are meanings. Wahilyatuhu al-i'rab. They are ornamented by vowel signs. Wanidamuhu. As-sawab, and they are ordered by truth. So he's giving us a very deep way of looking at speech. And we speak all of the time. But how much of our speech is actually conscious speech, intentional speech, where we are speaking in with being aware of what it is that we're saying consciously to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a very different thing. Maghras al-kanam. Maghras is to plant. So literally the place that you plant, i.e. the seedbed of kalam, speech, words, things that it is that we say, is where? Al-qalb. Again, it starts from the heart. And so he's using this as a proof of what it is that he was saying. Tamam, وَمَسْتَوْدَعُهُ الْفِكْرِ So, it's, they are stored in thoughts. And so, the relationship between fikr and the qalb, your thought and thinking. How do we think? And that have we been trained to think properly? Do we have the ability to penetrate deep and to think about different things from different angles. Do we have the ability to understand meanings in various statements? Can we that sort through different types of thoughts and the sources and their origins? So fikr is of the utmost importance. And we are supposed to be people because we are sentient beings that think regularly. And thinking is actually not something that's easy. You could spend a half a day thinking and be significantly more tired than where you have exercised for an extended period of time on that same day. Thinking takes up an enormous amount of energy within the human being. So the heart is that source, but the thoughts are, in a sense, they're stored. The mustolda is the fikr. Okay? And that you store things in a closet that you then use for other purposes. And what seems to be one of the meanings here is, depending upon how well it is that we think and the strength of our ability to think, will be reflected ultimately in the various things that we say. The deeper that we can go, the more that we can unpack the more that we can untangle the more that we can sift through the more that we can recognize the more ability that we have to extract meaning to use this power and this ability that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us is that the more that will be reflected in the various words that we say and this is where you find intelligent people tend to be people that think a lot they tend to be people who, whenever it is they don't understand something, they strive to then try to understand it. They are constantly making connections in their minds. And when they hear about something they don't know, they look it up. They strive to know. This is a really important trait, to be inquisitive and to research and to put things together and to connect. This is of the utmost importance. And ultimately, it will be reflected in the various things that it is that we say. 
the seedbird of words of words is the heart they are stored in thoughts and are reinforced by the intellect and it seems to be one of the meanings there is the intellect which in a sense is kind of looking over the heart and as one thinks and then the fruit of that thought relates to various things that might be said the intellect then can strengthen it in the sense one of the meanings potentially is if it's something that's known to be good then it can be reinforced that this is something good and it needs to be said if it's something that after thought the intellect determines that okay this is something that is not beneficial this is something better left unsaid it will then that reinforce the lack of speaking on that particular point and so forth and so on so the intellect strengthens the intellect strengthens and reinforces what it is then that is said but then the words are manifested on the tongue so the tongue just speaks and this is the whole point here the previous line of poetry which is speaking about how it is in the heart that words reside and Imam Ali is just going into much more detail and how this process works is that you have a heart you have your fikr you have your aql you have all of these different components to your speech your tongue's job is just to move and to articulate it and to actually say it and then when it is that you actually speak the jism the bodies the bodies of this um, uh, the bodies of speech is are the letters and their spirits are meanings so this is really what it's about is articulating meaning and when you say certain words people understand what meanings what it is that you're saying through those words and it's something magnificent if you really think about it the fact that we can speak and we can use words that have these meanings and people can understand meanings through the language that it is that we are speaking. Whether right now I'm speaking English, but whether we're speaking Arabic or Persian or Turkish or whatever language, Spanish, French, and it's something that people recognize. They know those words. They know those words have meanings. And then when someone speaks them, then they understand the meanings behind those words. Just as with signs, I can move my hand in certain ways that indicate certain meanings. By moving my hand in that particular way, people understand meanings. What a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why we are supposed to learn how to understand meanings also in creation. Because just as when human beings use language, they are speaking to us. Likewise, everything happening in creation is speaking to us. But we have to learn the language of creation by reflecting upon it using our fikr so that we can then understand the meanings that are behind it. They are or ornamented by vowel signs, so i'rab grammar, syntax, speaking in a proper way. Those words that you're saying become ornamented and adorned by virtue of correct speech, which where you speak in the right way and you pronounce it in the correct way with the correct vowel sign. وَنِظَامَهُ sawab, And they are ordered by truth. So this is a very beautiful statement. The upshot of this particular section here though in chapter is the integrity of the discourse is dependent upon the integrity of the individual. Let's really let that meaning seep down into the depths of our being. Whatever it is that you are doing, even if you're not working for an Islamic organization, if you're whatever job that is that you have, this ultimately is about our state with Allah. And if we're not upright in of ourselves, if, we don't, if we're not living those meanings, how can we give them to other people? And the more that we realize this, all of those that are serving in some capacity, let's say that they have a, a regular job, but they're serving on the side, 
this has to be at the forefront of our minds. The integrity of the discourse is dependent upon the integrity of the individual and a, a another uh, comparison would be I remember when we had uh, uh, Hakim Salim Khan doing a class on parenting here at Al Maqasid and I think at first many of the parents thought it was all going to be about the children but he began with the parents and essentially assessing the parents where they're at in terms of important lifestyle factors and the meaning that came clear very quickly was wait a second if I'm not sleeping proper if I'm not eating proper if I'm not doing all of these things properly then how can I expect my children to do that so just shifting the frame and it's not hard to understand but it is a very significant shift to where you realize it it's it's rooted in the individual and this is why also too that we have the statement of Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab who was known to only sleep for very short periods of time after he became the Khalifa and he commented on this saying if I sleep during the day I'm going to neglect those that I'm responsible for that if I sleep during the night I'm going to neglect the right of my Lord and so his the point was is that he was every day working on himself, his relationship with Allah, and then during the day, serving the people. And this is how we have to be as individuals, constantly cultivating in ourselves the higher meanings of the sunnah of our Prophet And we're serving during the day, but we must spend time beyond our workday, working on ourselves on a regular basis. And if someone is involved in some type of service, some type of da'wah by way of an institution, and they're neglecting the five daily prayers, they're neglecting their awrad, their litanies, and the prophetic invocations in the morning, in the evening, and they're neglecting the Qur'an, and so forth and so on, how can you expect that person to serve over a long period of time? How can you really expect that person to benefit other people? in a very meaningful way and um, sometimes they might expose themselves to some type of danger as a result so now we're going to move inshallah to page 4 where Sayyidi Habib Umar is going to mention seven points that he terms the adharu awamal al-najah the most evident means for success in enhancing and raising the level of the discourse. And some of these were previously mentioned, but here we have a very nice list. The first is, getting back to this point that how many times has he reiterated this? Don't think his reiteration of this is in vain. On the contrary, it's to show this is what it's all about. We can't just gloss over this by, okay, I know we need to be sincere. Okay, let's get down to what it is that we need to be doing. No, it doesn't work like that. Sincerity is a process. You don't just become sincere because you read it and be like, okay, I need to be sincere, I'm sincere. That's not how it works. Sincerity is a process. We have to work on ourselves. So that's that side of things that was mentioned of working on yourself. You have to work on yourself to be sincere. And ultimately, as long as we're attached to the world and our desires drive us, it's going to taint our sincerity. In order to reach the higher degrees of complete sincerity, you have to be detached from the pull of this world and to be able to do everything solely for the sake of Allah Taala. So number one is sincerity. Number two, which he kind of mentioned in, uh, previously, to recognize people of virtue and to fulfill their rights. In other words, well, let's read what he says and then we'll... we'll talk about this. The sign of a complete intellect is to praise one's contemporaries and to fulfill the rights of those who are involved in the same initiatives and fulfilling the same duty rather than being envious of and prejudiced against them. What an important point. We're not alone in this service. If you're doing humanitarian service, there's multiple organizations that are involved. If you're in the 
uh, if you're doing some form of education, there's multiple organizations. If you're organizing different types of programs of some sort, the different things that we do, there are going to be different organizations. There's going to be different people that are doing the same things that we are doing. Some of them might have come before us. Some of them might come after us. But how are we in relation to anyone that is serving? One of the principles that Sayyidina Habib Omar teaches is, if we're sincere with Allah, we will make an intention to help anyone who is sincerely serving wherever they are on the face of this earth. We should make an intention. Anyone serving in any capacity, doing any type of good that's directly related to the deen or some type of good for humanity on the face of this earth, we should make an intention to assist that person and to do what it is that we can to help them. And we start with the intention. We also add to that dua. And if there's anything else that we can do with our time, financially, even if it's small, we do. But we make the intention to help everybody on the face of this earth. And think about the amount of reward, one, that you get. But also think about how that intention unlocks purity of heart where you don't see it as a competition. This is something that plagues the community. Seeing other organizations as competition, seeing other paths as competition, seeing other individuals as competition. We should never see it as competition. You do your very best to freely give the God-given gifts that Allah has given you by way, by some form of service. And have a good opinion of other people. Give other people their due, people of virtue, anyone that has a right upon you, people that are doing the same initiatives. Work together, network. One of the things that really keeps us from being much more efficient and much more effective in what it is that we're doing is our uh, inability to network the way that we should. Alhamdulillah, there is some networking that's taking place in the community, but there's a lot of room for improvement. And the beautiful thing there is that you eventually realize is I'm very limited in what I can do. And even though you want to help everyone, it's a humbling experience to just come to the conclusion that you can't help everyone. And you might be able to have a little peace. And the person that's listening can't expect to get everything from one person. But that peace that they get from you is important. That then they can put together with another piece that they can get from someone else, that they can put together with another piece that they can get from someone else. And then the picture becomes complete when they get the other pieces. And if we network, we can point people to other people to get other pieces that are needed for them in the particular matter that is at hand. And then he quotes this beautiful statement of Imam al-Haddad in his aphorisms, the Hikam of Imam al-Haddad, which is um, really an amazing book and extremely profound and really, really beneficial. Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad said in his aphorisms, and incidentally it's been translated and even a brief commentary has also been translated with it by uh, Dr. Mustafa Bedoui, may Allah bless him, that Imam al-Haddad said, the greatest proof of the perfection of a man's intellect is his praise of his contemporaries. So oftentimes contemporaries are rivals. And you see this throughout, whether it be sports, whether it be academia, whether it be politics, whatever. You see people that are kind of in the same realm, that are, you know, kind of on slightly different sides of the spectrum. They tend to be rivals. But Imam al-Haddad is saying is that the greatest proof of a man's intellect that this person sees the big picture. He understands the nature of this world in relation to the next and that he has an ability to know what is right and to follow it is his praise of his contemporaries. This is a very good sign. The greatest proof of his humility is his contentment with being held back in a situation where he deserves to be brought forward. So, are we really humble? Are we ever in a particular position where you know 
you actually should be the one put forth to speak on that particular matter. You should actually be the one involved in that particular thing. But humility, you're being content with being held back. That you weren't asked to contribute in that situation. You weren't asked to be involved in that particular thing. Even though you very well could have contributed. It's a sign of humility that we're not bothered by that. And we don't let that be a source of problems. And then, and the greatest proof is his sincerity, is his lack of concern if people become angry in his pursuit of Allah's good pleasure. So if you and I can root in ourselves, and this is not easy, but if we can train ourselves by the bounty of Allah Ta'ala to seek Allah's good pleasure in everything that it is that we do, and then if people become angry, we're not concerned. You might try to say something and to rectify the situation so people are not angry, but in the end, you're not concerned, i.e. you're not bothered, because you really felt that you did what needed to be done for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. And in the end, you're never going to make everybody happy. The contentment of people is an end that will never ever be sought. It will never ever be attained. Do your best to be sincere for the sake of Allah and that's all we can do. So that's number two. And then number three, meticulously choosing words to avoid any risk of inciting discord and opposition. La ilaha illallah. How important is that? How important is that? How many of us have neglected this? Meticulously, the Arabic is Meticulously choosing words to avoid any risk of inciting discord and opposition. Making sure to keep the hearts together. Not saying something that's going to have an unintended consequence that you didn't think of that is harmful. Not saying something that could have been phrased in a different way. And that sometimes we mean well, but we say something that then it creates a problem. So being meticulous in our choice of words to make sure that they're measured. We say the right thing at the right time, to the right degree, and so forth and so on. And we think before we speak and we deliberate so that we put everything in its proper place. This is such an important part of a methodology. And it doesn't mean that this is flattery. It doesn't mean that we don't speak from a lack of courage. But what it means is we choose very carefully when we speak and then we're meticulous in how we speak and what it is that we say so that it's very measured and we don't create any unnecessary problems. Also, selecting those that are conducive to realizing the aims of the discourse. What is the aim? What is the big picture? What is the goal that we're seeking in this particular realm that we are speaking about? This is very deep knowledge of learning how to say the right thing in the right place. These aims include clarification of the truth such that those who are heedless are reminded, those who deviate become balanced, and those who transgress learn to respect the boundaries. These are different examples of realms that we might be speaking in. How excellent is the statement by one of the wise. Advice is weighty, so do not give it harshly, nor make an argument out of it. All truths are bitter, so use gentle expressions and eloquent words. And so that's uh, Habib Omar's praising. Some of the wise said this that advice is weighty. It's not always easy for us to be advised. So make it easier. So literally it says, Don't send it as a mountain. Yani, don't make it weighty upon that person even harder. So don't give it harshly. Right? Nor make an argument out of it. And how many people are really going to listen? If you're perturbed, you're annoyed, and you know you need to say something, and then you just come down really hard, and you do it in an argumentative fashion. 
for those of us that have children, when was the last time that worked? Especially a teenager. When was the last time that worked? But if we calm down, we sit down, we have a discussion, we appeal to the intellect, we're balanced, we're tactful, we're reasonable, we're willing to be a little bit flexible, we're trying to meet them somewhere in the middle, if it's somewhere that we can meet them in the middle, then they tend to listen. And you hope then that even if they fall short after that, that hopefully the meaning has resonated with them and they'll come back to it at a later time. So these are very, this is a very beautiful statement. Advice is weighty, so do not give it harshly, nor make an argument out of it, and all truths and truths are bitter. So use gentle expressions. And eloquent words, i.e., make it easy for people to accept your advice. Make it easy for people to accept the truth. Don't make it hard. That's number three. Number four, grasping the various important aspects of the subject under discussion. This is so, so important. And whenever we are talking about something, whatever that thing is, so you're trying to, uh, something happened in a, foreign, in a foreign country where you now want to send aid to, that, to those people or that there's something needs to be done about a particular matter domestically and that you want to help in that particular regard. Whatever it might be, whatever your institution is serving, whatever you're doing as an individual, to try to understand what's called isti'ab al-masala is it to try to look at that thing from multiple perspectives. This is very important. The more knowledge that we have about something, um, the better decision that we'll be able to make regarding it. And it could just be something that like as simple as you have a property and you want to build something or you want to fix something. There was something that happened now you want. The more knowledge that you have, if you ask one person, I say, no, this is the only thing that you can do. But if you ask multiple people, I say, no, this is an option, this is an option, this is an option, that is an option. The more that you can understand that different aspects of the subject under discussion, the more that you're going to be able to make a correct decision, and the more then that you're going to be able to that tactfully deal with those who are involved with the decision. And you'll be able to help them see things from other viewpoints as well, whereas they might have been fixated on one thing alone. This is very helpful and at the realm of serving uh, the Tao at the level of institutions, but it's also an important principle that's helpful in life. The more knowledge that we have about something, the better that we'll be able to that judge on that particular matter. But this requires consulting multiple people that can give good feedback on these particular aspects. Number five, taking into consideration all of the different valid madhabs, i.e. the schools of thought that are based upon the reliable scholarly methodologies, acknowledging the full breadth of the sharia. And so that it's understood here by Habib saying this is that everything has to be in line with the sharia. But it doesn't have to be in line with one particular school. And just as it's a mistake to say that either um, to not consider the sacred law at all or to just fall into what is called the tabaruchas and to take the easiest position in everything or to it's just as it's a mistake as well to uh, not adhere to a particular school it's also a mistake to to confine the all of those that are working in the sphere of the da'wah to one particular school and there are different schools and yes as an individual we should commit to a particular school but we should also, when we are working with other people, recognize there are multiple schools and we have to acknowledge the full breadth of the Sharia. And as long as it's valid in one of those four schools, we should be open to accepting that. And as long as it's not opening up the door to just doing what is easiest in everything, what's called the But we have that nice balance. And this is very important. When we recognize that there's multiple ways and there's multiple uh, scholarly methodologies, this opens up the door for cooperation. And it also enhances you. 
you, you might have a specific way and that's fine. Stick to that way because it actually could be harmful for you to leave your particular way to try to take on other ways because you might not have knowledge of those other particular ways. Stick to your particular way, but be open-minded that there are also other valid methodologies and valid ways as well. And then the final two, circumspection, deliberation and verification of mentioning reports and information and only citing information when there is a benefit in doing so. This is important. How many times when we are judging a particular matter, we haven't verified even the basic facts? It's hearsay. And this is very important that we go beyond that we, we, we take, we go to great lengths to determine various things that are told to us, various pieces of information that we have to make sure that one, they are true. So we have to be circumspect and we have to deliberate and we have to verify. And once that's done, then we only cite what information is needed in relation to that what it is that we the topic that is that we are treating this is very important and so if we hear things about a different organization oh they do this it could be complete hearsay we need to make sure that that's actually the case that if you hear about a particular individual he did this or he thinks this we need to verify that and so we build our opinions based upon solid information and we don't end up making mistakes in judgment as a result of um, that not having the complete picture or that having some of the basic facts incorrect. And then finally, avoiding mentioning the names of individuals and groups critically unless there is a clear need. The Sunnah provides a, prefer a preferable alternative option to say instead, what is the matter with those who do such and such or who say such and such? Ma balu akwam yaf'aluna kada wa kada. And um, this is the sunnah of our Prophet is that those who do such and such, leaving it general. And this is one of the amazing things about the teachers that we were blessed to study with. Um, I don't ever recall a single instance of our teachers mentioning other groups um, in a negative way. I don't recall a single instance in any class, private or public, where they spoke ill of an individual or they spoke ill of a particular group by name in all of the years. And that's amazing. And essentially these are people that are, you know, putting the sunnah of our Prophet into practice. It's not from the sunnah to argue with the Sunnah, but it's from the Sunnah to inform about the Sunnah. And um, the, the, the only one time that I've heard my teacher respond to an individual when he was asked about a specific individual in a particular place and he responded because he was asked by a group of people about other than that, that in and of itself, we speak in terms of principles. We speak in terms of what it is that we want to be. If you need to clarify, the truth is that you do so in a general way without mentioning individuals, without mentioning names of groups, names of organizations. We don't want to be like them. We don't. Be, there's no need for the mentioning of any organizations or the mentioning of any individuals. Let's talk about principles. And the vast majority of what we say should be talking about what it is that we need to do. And then the clarifications that we make, that we make them in a way so that people uh, can learn the proper way to be and learn what not to do. But if we put everything in its place, the, we realize is that the basis of all of this is love and mercy. The basis of all of this is learning what it is that we need to learn to come near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you spend your time coming to know Allah, working on yourself spiritually, being in a state of remembrance, studying beneficial knowledge, learning the great principles of this deen, that is what the bulk of our time should be spent doing. And then the few moments that we spend um, negating or clarifying some of the things that we shouldn't be doing uh, is done to make sure that we keep 
our rectitude and stay upon the straight path. These are really golden principles and a lot more could be said about these seven principles. I hope that you take them and really reflect upon them and, and it would be actually a very good thing to do to take each one of these seven and write down how they apply to your life, how they apply to your particular situation, your particular organization, your particular circumstances um, and bring them out, bring it out. And if any questions arise in the process of doing that, which I really hope you do do that, then we can feel those questions. Um, I apologize for starting a little bit late. Inshallah ta'ala, so tomorrow we'll be starting at 10.15. Uh, May Allah give us tawfiq and to bring these principles that into our lives. Because if we bring these principles into our lives and the lives of our organizations, we will see the fruits. We will be more impactful for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and more benefit will be brought. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq. So I think there's a, there might be a question. Advice for Muslims working in social justice, general activism, and with organizations that don't really focus on Islamic principles and higher callings that ground their intentions. There tends to be an over-reliance on our agency and efforts to make change in the world. And, um, well, I, th I think that you've almost answered your question in your question. And it's like y that might be the case where a Muslim is working in a different organization where there's a significant amount of non-Muslims around him or her and that they're working for some type of cause for humanity and I think this is this is precisely why this is so important this is why we have to bring these principles to our work and um, whether we're specifically working in a situation like this um, or even in other situations there's a lot of other people even outside the confines of social justice that they might have over-reliance on their agency as well. That's not just in the realm of social justice. And this is where these principles are so powerful, is that we learn the importance of submission to Allah. We learn the importance of trust in Allah, the importance of scrutinizing our intentions, working on ourselves, And just as we learn the importance through the sunnah, of doing everything outwardly in the very best way that we can, putting everything in its proper place, doing everything that with as much perfection as can be done and with excellence. So we have guidance in both states when we are in a state of action outwardly, just as in a state uh, when we are working on ourselves inwardly. So I, I, I think the advice really is to take these principles seriously. And if you're working in some type of organization like the one mentioned, map it out on paper, write down your thoughts. What is your intention? What are the things that you need to be aware of? And by writing it down, it helps you to go back to it, where then you can go back and make that intention every day. You can, it helps sort your thoughts out. And what are some of the things that you need to be aware of? What are the, some of the things, uh, what are some of the positives? What are some of the challenges? If you write this down, then you can then apply the principles to that. But um, I would say in general, for those working in this realm that was mentioned here, but also in any organization, um, prayer has to be the heart of everything, the five daily prayers. Dua. Dua is not just like, oh, brother, I do dua. Yani, dua in the way that our Prophet taught us, day in and day out, throughout the day, at night especially. Uh, you have to have time when you're working outwardly that you give to working on yourself and that cultivating the relationship with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that would be the, just the very brief response to that. Um, how, does one, how does one not go into spiritual darkness? When one is involved in community building and you are amidst of people who are spiritually struggling. This is very important. Um, everybody needs teachers just as if you're going to become an architect, you have to have a teacher who teaches you how to be an architect. If you're going to become uh, a tile layer, you have to be an apprentice that learns from a master tile, tile layer. To take the spiritual path seriously, you need to have teachers who can teach you regularly. You need to have a source that you go back to regularly. And that source is a source of strength for you. 
just by virtue of the connection, but also by virtue of the learning that takes place regularly from that source. And you have to also build your spiritual immune system in the way that was mentioned by praying, by doing the prophetic invocations in the morning and evening, by making sure to spend a little bit of time at night alone, by um, teaching yourself to rest and to not overdo it. If you do all of this, you'll build up your spiritual immunity. And your spiritual immunity is what's going to help you from going into spiritual darkness and when you're amidst people that are spiritually struggling. That's what's going to help you. Uh, because when your spiritual immunity is built, you'll realize is that everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'll be strong as you interact with other people, able to maintain and to also help other people. And then if it reaches a point where you need to take a little bit of time off, don't hesitate to do so. Don't overdo it. Take the time off. Have the necessary breaks. Um, I know someone, for instance, who's involved uh, in um, that counseling a lot of people. They go two weeks on and they have to take a whole week off. Two weeks on and they take a whole week off just to work on themselves. And then they get back to the work. So we have to balance this and to put everything in its proper place through spiritual wisdom and through also uh, other principles like balance and so forth that will help us through this. What is the best way to deal with people close to you who are negative and complain a lot and their negative is hard to listen to and brings you down? Um, it, we, we have to be careful falling into the trap of also being negative in relation to their negativity. So if we always just say, you're constantly negative, like us pointing out their negativity doesn't usually help. It usually spirals down where it starts more and brings more negativity. Um, and I think that the, the, the best way there really is to try your best to just be positive. And when you see negativity, try to change. Try to change the tone of that conversation. Maybe you don't necessarily respond to everything. Uh, maybe there is a way gently for you to give them a little bit uh, of advice. Uh, and maybe you spend less time with that particular person. Maybe you don't have the luxury of spending less time. But you, you can't let other people bring you down with their negativity. Um, that you have to do your best to, in a very tactful way, in a positive way, change the conversation. And usually people, when they see someone consistently responding in a certain way, they tend to uh, either change in and of themselves or at least not show that side of themselves to that particular individual. I see public criticisms of organizations that are done often with, without speaking to members who run that organization or to get clarification. Is there validity in that? Um, well, I think the principle was very clear. Uh, before we publicly criticize any organization, we have to be sure of the facts. You cannot criticize an individual uh, without being clear of the facts. And so if something reaches you that an individual or an organization is doing something, um, it's actually a healthy thing for us to advise one another. So if anything ever reaches anyone who's listening about Al-Maqasid that they have questions about, we hope that you bring it to our attention. If you notice any faults that we're making, if you notice any mistakes that we're making, we need your advice. It's very hard to run organizations. It's not easy. We need help. And we need people's advice. And we need people's support. And we know that we're going to fall short. And we know that we're going to make mistakes. And the key is to not consciously make mistakes or to continue to fall short when that people have pointed out some of the mistakes that you're making. Uh, so uh, organizations should be open to advice. And if we created a beautiful environment of tanasih, we're all mutually advising one another, we all benefit. But if it's like, but again, if there's diseases in the heart, who are you to advise me? Oh, but you know what your organization does. Yeah, but, oh, but you do this. No, we should all advise one another. And if something reaches someone that about an individual or an organization, we should reach out to that person. At, reach out to that individual, reach out to that organization. And before we go public, we should try to solve the problem privately, individually, directly with that person, with that organization. And then only when there's absolutely no, we're sure of the facts, there's absolutely no response, 
and that we feel that there needs to be a warning so that people don't get harmed by an individual or an organization, do we go public with it? That's the general rule there on how we would deal with situations like that. During the lesson, you talked about being meticulous. How does one get trained in being meticulous, especially when one, ha one hasn't had this straight? Are there resources, class, book, etc.? Um, so I would, I would begin by, when this book comes out, I would purchase this book. This book is a good starting point to open up the doors for many of these principles being meticulous in terms of what we say, um, that being one of them. Um, but the, the, the way that we would train ourselves to do that is to that really think deeply about our organization, our particular service, the bigger picture. And be aware of the fact that we need to be meticulous. And then once we start the pro once we start being aware of the fact that we need to be meticulous, then we will naturally start to notice more what it is that we're saying. And so you're not going to get the solution to every you're not going to figure out overnight how to be meticulous in everything that is that you say. That's a process. It starts with awareness that you need to be meticulous. And then you work on yourself little by little. And when you have questions about whether you said the right thing or not, then you seek advice. You ask those that are around you. And you always try to relate what it is that you're saying in that moment to the bigger picture. The bigger picture of us ultimately serving to draw near to Allah Ta'ala and that we're returning unto Him. And then that the smaller aspect of that bigger picture of that... The, the, the purpose of the organization in itself in the greater that ecosystem in which it exists, i.e., that let's just take the United States of America as an example, um, all of the different organizations and Muslims living here and all of the issues that are facing Muslims and all of these different things that are needed. If you're aware at kind of that larger scale, kind of the smaller dimension of the bigger picture, as we just said, um, you'll be much more tolerant and much more careful because you'll realize it's not just about what it is that you're doing. There's thousands of people doing great work. And the key is to support that great work and to help direct it in the very best of ways, to network, as we mentioned, um, and tying the individual things that you're saying to that bigger picture is the, is, is, is the process. Um, in terms of specific uh, books, what else would you recommend? Um, yeah, that, that actually would be a, a, a really good thing to, to look into, like the prohibitions of the tongue. So you just kind of learn literally the things that you shouldn't say. That's actually very good. Uh, I think there's a, a, a class on that on Seeker's Hub, on Seeker's Guidance, about prohibitions of the tongue. Um, and then, um, I forget, is there some book that speaks about this as well? Um yeah, maybe we, if, if something comes to mind, nothing's coming to mind directly on how to do that. What about uh, Tawada Sa'diya? Does that speak on that? Not directly, does it? What about how to win friends and influence people? Yeah, maybe something like as well, like a book like How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, because that's, uh, you know, by learning those principles, you know, it will help you be meticulous and to do what it is that you should be doing as opposed to not be doing. So I think those are two good starting points, and if anything else comes to mind, we can add it. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq and bless us in all of our affairs. Inshallah ta'ala, we will see you again tomorrow morning. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.